Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Well, all right. Matthew chapter 27 from the New King James Version, and here's what it says. We're picking it up where... Peter just denied Jesus for the third time. The rooster crowed and he went and wept bitterly. And then it says, when morning came, now they had been abusing Jesus during the night, the chief priest, the high priest, the elders, the council of the Jews, they haven't yet delivered him to the Romans. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. They didn't just want to punish him. They wanted him put to death. And they couldn't do it. They had to get the Romans involved to do it. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So Judas realized afterwards, oh, did I do the wrong thing? And they said to him, what is it? What is that to you? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver. Can you believe that even the 30 pieces of silver was prophesied in the Old Testament, in this case by Jeremiah the prophet? The value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Jesus avoids bragging on himself. So he lets other people say it. And then sometimes by demand, he'll confirm that what they said is true. But he avoids saying, I am the son of God and I am uh, the Messiah, etc. Verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. So the chief priests and elders are accusing him before Pontius Pilate, the governor, or the pro, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the proconsul. And so it says, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him, not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Everybody else defends themselves. And so verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ or Messiah? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Pilate picked up very quickly that these chief priests and elders, 
They envied the crowds, the notoriety that Jesus got, and that's why they wanted him dead. Verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So here is God confirming through Pilate's wife that this is a just man. Verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ or who is called the Messiah? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. See, Pilate's trying to get him off the hook because Pilate knows, first of all, crucifixion is horrific. This is the most painful and shameful form of death that they had. And he knows this man hasn't done anything wrong. The chief priests are just jealous of his popularity and such. So it says, in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Notice he keeps saying Jesus is just. This is part of the declaration of the Passover lamb being declared to be pure, without blemish, without spot, just like Exodus chapter 12 says they have to do. They got to make sure this lamb is without blemish. It's a pure lamb. And so repeatedly, Jesus is said that he's just and pure and innocent. So he says, uh, you see to it. And so verse 25, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, that's that uh, scourging that many of us saw in uh, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Roman scourging with the cat of nine tails and such, just ripping his flesh. It's not just a little bull whip. I mean, it tears into the flesh. It says, when he had scourged him, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. And listen to this. They gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him. Can you imagine how embarrassing that was? The whole garrison, all these Roman soldiers, and they strip you down. No telling what these men did to Jesus there. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand as if to make him look like a king to mock him. And it put a reed in his hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they, all these Roman soldiers, you can imagine how nasty this is. Then they spat on him and took the reed out of his hand and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off off him and put his own clothes on him. So they stripped him again and reclothed him with his own clothes and led him away to be crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, uh, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. Now, why is this? Because it was something of a pain reliever. 
and Jesus would not take it. He wanted to take the full pain, everything. He was dying for our sins, but he was also dying for our pains. And so it goes on to say in verse 35, then they crucified him and they divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. And so how did they crucify him? They put heavy wrought iron nails through his wrists on either side into the wood of the cross. And uh, they put, they put his one foot on top of the other foot and they put a nail or a big wooden wrought iron nail through both of his feet into the tree or into the wood. And then all of the weight was on these three nails. And this was horrific. And really, uh, because it would be so painful, they would, and the way that they were hanging, eventually they would suffocate because they couldn't push themselves up to get a breath and even exhale. So it goes on to say, sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. Jesus, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Can you imagine you're suffering in pain, trying to breathe, you're bleeding everywhere, and people are making fun of you. Come on down. You know, I mean, it, this is just completely humiliating. And verse 41 says, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with scribes and elders, all these religious rulers around there, mocking him, laughing at him, making fun of him in front of everybody. He came to be our hero. He came to save us, to deliver us from our sins and to reconcile us with the father. And what is he getting? Not just the death. Oh, no. There's all of this other going along with it, the humiliation, the ridicule. This is the creator of the universe, Jesus, the son of God. And look at how they're treating him. So it goes on to say they, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders were mocking him. And they said in verse 42, he saved others himself. He cannot save if he is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I'm the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same, same thing. Now from the sixth hour, that's about noon until the ninth hour, that's about three in the afternoon. There was darkness over all the land. What's happening? I believe this is a manifestation of the sin that was put on Jesus. All the sins of the world, past, present, and future, all brought into one point in time on one geographical location on one man. And it seems to me like this would cause some kind of a manifestation of darkness over all the land, all this sin having been laid on Jesus. But it doesn't say that in the text. That's just something that I, uh, I believe may very well be the reason for all that darkness. Verse 40, uh, 46, and about the ninth hour, this is about three in the afternoon when the priests are over at the temple beginning to kill the Passover lambs. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. We know that the last thing he yelled was, it is finished completed. Okay. And so he yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was not all that far away from where Jesus died and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Notice this these supernatural events happened as soon as he died and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. A lot of times we don't talk about these things, but all these things happened supernaturally when Jesus died. This was a huge event. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people who were dead and in the graves. Man, they brought back to life and they came in. You can imagine the stir in the city of Jerusalem with these kinds of events. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. See, they'd never seen anything like this before. They'd crucified other people, but they'd never seen anything like this. Well, of course, this is not just any person. This is the son of the living God goes on to say in verse 55, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and Mary uh, and excuse me, and the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John. Now, when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had him who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of prep of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Of course, they're making all of this up. But nonetheless, they're afraid that uh, something might happen. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, after the Sabbath, and uh, this is the Sabbath being Saturday and such, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week, Sunday, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. This is very early in the morning, verse 2. And behold, actually, that's in the verse 20, uh, chapter 28. So I was excited to get to the resurrection, but we have to stop right where we are. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. 
And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.